Amen. Well, we are continuing in our our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, and I don't remember if I said this last week or not. If so, I'm going to repeat myself, but uh, I, I like going in um, and, and studying different topics, different things that, you know, on a topical basis, where you might pull from Genesis to Revelation. You might go, you know, anywhere in Scripture to to uh, cover a certain topic, uh, but I also like and think that it's necessary that we uh, would dive into the Word of God and uh, a certain chapter or certain book and uh, be able to glean uh, things from that one particular book. It's maybe not topical. Uh, I, in the past, have done this um, about once a year or so where we will have a book that we go through on a Wednesday night and uh, for myself, I have always picked shorter letters or shorter books uh, than what First Corinthians is. I know this is uh, going it's, uh, a little lengthy in this study, but I just felt impressed to go into this um, at, the begin- at the end of last year. And um, I believe there's so much that we can glean from First Corinthians. And tonight, if you want to grab your Bibles, open up there where you're going to start in chapter 11. It's where we ended last week, was in chapter 11. We're going to, uh, we did not get all the way through it, so uh, I don't plan on spending uh, all of our time in chapter 11. I th- hope uh, and believe that we will get into chapter 12 and actually do a little bit. Uh, my, my goal tonight is to finish out chapter 11. Uh, there was a certain topic that Paul covers here that uh, is relevant to us, and uh, then he goes into um Still somewhat within the same thing, public worship, but uh, in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he begins talking about spiritual gifts and, uh, and in love and so uh, how, how we operate in these things. And so uh, here tonight, we're, we will go through um, kind of a, a bigger picture overview of chapters 12, 13, 14, and uh, we may get into chapter 12 just a little bit. Uh, but that's my goal tonight, kind of finish out chapter 11 and then just kind of a big picture of of what he's getting into with this very important topic of the use of spiritual gifts. And I think it's very important that we dive into that. And uh, we, of course, are not going to get all the way through those chapters. We could spend, uh, really, we could spend months just studying those things. Uh, we won't do that. But uh, we will take a break next week uh, for our business meeting. And then we do have one more week that we will dive back into First Corinthians and then... Uh, that following week, uh, for the next four weeks after that, we are going to have our Connect classes where we will break out. And uh, so that will be a little bit of a break from First Corinthians. And I am looking forward to those Connect classes. And uh, I would hope that you would uh, be here for those. Uh, those are more conversational in nature. And so uh, I want to invite you to be part of those. But um, just to give you a little um, insight to what these next couple of weeks will look like. So in chapters 8 through 10, if you remember back, uh, Paul, what he was dealing with in those chapters was meat being offered to idols. He was specifically uh, banning Christians from going to pagan festivals. That was part of, of what he was doing is that you had some of these Christians that they would go to a pagan festival. They might even go into a pagan house of worship, sit down and have a meal with them. And uh, for them, you know, they're saying, well, what's, you know, really, what does it matter? But Paul says it does matter. I, you shouldn't, as a Christian, take part in their worship services. 
you as a Christian should, you know, have some separation from your past. You shouldn't, uh, you know, be in that, that pagan worship environment anymore. And so that was what he was dealing with. Now he transitions from that to the Christian worship environment. So he went from banning them from a pagan worship environment to now focusing on what a Christian worship environment ought to be like. And so there's, there's two things here in chapter 11 that he covers. We, we've covered the one last week that was uh, gender distinctives in worship. And the second topic that we're going to cover tonight is, uh, is dealing with the Lord's Supper and communion and, and division that was even coming into the church during that time. And so, uh, and so we'll cover that tonight. Uh, but, you know, just, I think it's, it's vital for us just to realize how important, uh, it is for, for Paul to spend four chapters on public work or on, on their Christian worship environment. And what we will get into also tonight is, is just kind of this, uh, looking at the supernatural gifts, the spiritual gifts of the spirit. And, and this is a pretty large chunk of first Corinthians, Four chapters uh, on public worship, three chapters in particular on the operation of spiritual gifts. That's that's a pretty good chunk of of this book or this letter that he writes, and and in that you'll see you know that he spends time on things that are important. He spent quite a bit of time on them worshiping in a pagan environment. When you have Christians who are going and getting close, you know they're. Seemingly even interacting with idolatry. That's something he's going to spend an enormous amount of time on. You need to correct some things there. Correct some behavior. And then here when it gets, some things get a little out of whack in their public worship. And they come together for church. He's going to spend a lot of time here. And it's, you know, it gives us some idea of really how dysfunctional their assemblies were when they were coming together. And it's really, it's, it's amazing to me that there was even a church at all that was left. Uh, if, it was, if this was like a church that was part of our fellowship, we would probably completely like disfellowship them. And like, you know, they're like some crazy cult that's out there. They're doing these really wild things. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I am convinced of is that the church is very resilient. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find it. That every church, you know, if, if our church, if, you know, if any church today, if it were to receive letters or epistles that were really examining us, there's a lot of things I'm sure that could be found right here. They could write, you know, plenty of things, you know, to any church because there is no perfect church. But one of the things that, you know, brings hope to me when I read first Corinthians is that no matter how difficult a church may be or how, how big of issues they may seem to be experiencing, and, and, and how badly they may, they may stumble in some areas. There's still hope and there's still, you know, this, this possibility for the church to recover. And that just gives me this, this huge amount of faith in knowing that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. That Satan may attack it, that people may fail. You can look around and you can see plenty of people, even in ministry, who they fail. But the church will not fail. 
Individuals may come and they may go, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And that is something that, that we, we need to just, just hold on to that, knowing that, that in this last day, that God has a great revival and you may be disappointed in certain things or certain people and certain uh, circumstances that are going on. But I am thankful that God has a church and this is his church. This is the church is, is the church that is established on Jesus in Jesus Christ. And so, amen. I'm, I'm just encouraged by that when I do read first Corinthians. So, uh, okay, let's, let's dive into first Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 17. Uh, as I mentioned, this is this change of topic within this chapter. Paul, he had just spent the first 16 verses focusing on length of hair on men and women and you know, more generally on the importance of gender distinctives when we come to worship. And now he's pivoting here uh, because we see that the Corinthians are having some problems when they come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's interesting to note that there's only two places in the epistles where the Lord's Supper is discussed, or communion is discussed. It's in this chapter, chapter 11, and then in the two chapters uh, right before it, or two chapters before this, chapter 9, it's, it's discussed somewhat, just very briefly. But in both of these places, of course, it's, it's you know, to the Corinthian church. And so Paul, he's, he's writing to correct some problems in the way that they are, are uh, commemorating the death of Jesus and uh, doing what Jesus asked of the church to do, which is do this in remembrance of me. Uh, take the the cup and the the bread. Take this, and, you know, in remembrance of him. Uh, but but we see them doing that, and there's there's some things that they're doing uh, that are a little off. And so uh, let's go here, verse seventeen it says, "Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not." That ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. So Paul, he's saying, look, I'm not really happy with you because when you're coming together for church, you guys are leaving worse off than you came. And you can take from that that, you know, you should be better off after you come together. But instead of being better off, they're coming together and, and they're leaving Worse off, and you know, I, I hope that you don't know any churches that are that are like that. Uh, you know that that when you come together, you're you're worse off when you leave. But you know, but that's that's the case here for for this Corinthian church that they would come together and they're worse off when they when they leave each other. And so, verse eighteen it says, "For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you." And I partly believe it. Now, if you remember all the way back to how the whole letter started off, the problem that he was addressing in chapter 1 was divisions among them. And the divisions at that time were divisions about the preachers and how some of them followed Paul, some of them followed Peter, and some of them followed Apollos. And, and some of them, you know, they said, well, I don't care about any of the preachers, I just follow Jesus. And so they have this, you know, theological and personal divisions that are among them. But here it doesn't seem to be necessarily pointing back to those divisions, but rather divisions just within the church amongst classes of people. And, and, um, and we'll see how that kind of plays out here, that these are divisions even just within the church 
with each other. And uh, especially between those who had money and those who did not. So in verse 19, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So Paul is saying, look, you know, it's probably a good thing that there's some bad teaching that's going on around you because it's going to force those who don't believe the gospel to stand up and identify themselves. That the fact that there's heresies, there's things that are being taught outwardly right now, it's forcing you to identify that these people, they are not teaching things that line up to the gospel. And so that's, you know, okay, they're going to manifest themselves. They're going to show themselves for who they are. Verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Okay, so they're coming together, and when they're getting together, even though they're intending to eat the Lord's Supper, that's, that's not what they're doing. They're coming together, and they're having a feast. And now this is you know, really important in understanding what's going on in this context. It, it's probably helpful if you, if you think back uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, how they would go and they would sit down in the pagan marketplace and you know have these feasts that they would partake in. Paul had just rebuked them for sitting down at those feasts. And so here, in, so that was part of that culture, but that was kind of just part of religious culture of that day is you'd come together for meals. It's actually still kind of part of religious culture today. Maybe not... Um, as uh, equally embraced here in our Western culture as it is in other uh, cultures around the world, um, we still you know eat plenty. Uh, I would say together we come together and we eat. Uh, but I would say even in other cultures around the world that are more, um, I would say, less individualistic in nature, the more a collectivist culture. That those cultures, it's it's very common to come together as the church. Anytime that you come for worship and you're going to eat, you're going to come together. There's something about sitting across the table from somebody that puts us all at a level playing field. Actually, I mean, it's like the most basic need that all of us have. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. uh, It doesn't matter how important you are. We all need food to survive. And so when you come together and you sit at the table, it's, it's like this leveling playing, you know, leveling field. And we come together and it's just community coming together. And, and so we eat together. And so here, this, you know, evidently this is just part of what the Corinthians are doing. They're coming together when they worship, they have these meals and, um, seems to be maybe even before they begin to worship, they come together for these meals. And so here, when they're coming together for the Lord's Supper, it seems like what's going on is that the Lord's Supper uh, they would then sit down for this big feast together, and that's when things begin to unravel, and uh, we're going to try to figure out how it all unravels. So let's go to verse 21. It says, for in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. One is hungry, another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. 
So you have these rich people who are coming in and they're eating to excess to the extent that Paul says, you guys are drunken. In other words, you guys are so full, you guys have stuffed yourselves with food, stuffed yourselves with drink, and whether or not, you know, he's actually speaking of being drunk, drunk with, with wine, or if he's, if he's speaking of, of just, you have eaten to excess. That's, it seems to me that it could just be that you've, you've eaten to excess because he, he kind of uses a little bit of hyperbole that one is hungry or one is, you know, has no food at all. And the other, you know, has all this food and, you know, it's not likely that those coming, I guess I shouldn't say not likely, um, but it uh, could be that, you know, those aren't, don't necessarily have no food, but, you know, they come and, and they don't, they have little food. And so he's, he's kind of going to the extremes. You have, you have the one who they, they're completely full and the other who is, who's over here, they're hungry. They don't have enough to eat. And so if you kind of get this picture of all these, these issues with the church, you have, this sacred gathering where they're supposed to be coming together for worship and you have them like I only only sticking with the people who are rich and the people who are poor and they're not caring for each other and not only that then they go in so you have the feast before they worship and then they go in after the feast and they come in to take communion or the Lord, or the Lord's Supper. And so here, now that you have those who have completely like separated themselves, you have division in, in the church of the, the rich and the poor, those who have a lot, those who have a little. They're coming then to really do the one thing that is like the most basic profession of faith as a Christian, which is to acknowledge the broken body of our Savior, uh, the, the blood that was shed. They're coming right after all of this division of, of like separating the rich and the poor and not interacting with each other. And the rich don't have the humility to share with those who are poor and those who don't have much. They don't have the discernment to know that they should do that, that there's somebody who's in need. And, and those who, you know, the poor people, they, you know, they don't, have the courage to say, hey, could you, could you share with us? We, we need something. And so you have these divisions among them where they're, they're just, they're not unified as a church. There's no unity that's taking place. And yet without, with this disunity, they're saying, they're then going into partake of the Lord's Supper. So it's in the middle of that. And so Paul, he's, he is really going back to even this, the same thing he's appealed to before in this letter, which is that love ought to be the driving force of everything that you do in worship. You need to love each other. You guys need to come together. And so let's go to verse 22. What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So Paul, he says, they've been, you guys have been living this horrible kind of lifestyle, some of them, not just because they have division here, but in you know, all the other things he's been addressing, um, living this horrible kind of lifestyle, and yet you're still coming and partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. You have no unity, you have you know, all these other things that are going on, and yet then you just march yourselves right in and you say, hey, let me partake in this remembering of what Jesus did for me at Calvary. And when you do that, you are guilty of the very thing that he died for. You're here as the church who's supposed to be holy, who's supposed to be set apart, and yet you've been living in all this sin that I've been addressing, trying to correct. You have division among yourself even when you come together. And yet, then you just come in and you're like, hey, let's partake in this. Let's think about what he did for us. And then you go right back to doing the very things that you've done. He said, we need to stop that. You need, to, you need to come in and examine yourselves. You need to examine your hearts. That's, that's what it gets to, verse 28. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And that really is, you know, it's pretty sobering. As he's, he's kind of, even pointing to the fact that there's been sickness among them. There's been people who have even died. And I don't, I can be honest, I, I don't fully understand um, if this was caused by that. It seems to be, he says, for this cause, because they are going in and they're drinking this unworthily. They're doing this without caring about um, themselves. They haven't examined themselves. That even from that, there is people who are dying in their midst. Because they have not lived a life that is uh, worthy of, of coming in and partaking in the Lord's Supper. And so, and so he says, verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I think that is good for all of us to remember. Judge yourself. I would rather be judged here on earth for the things that I've done wrong than to be judged in heaven and wait for his judgment to be corrected. I would much rather be judged right here. He says, judge yourselves. In other words, hey, wake up. You guys are living this crazy life where you don't even care about the sin that you're living in and you're not even judging yourselves. So judge yourselves because there is going to come a day when you're going to be judged for those things. So judge yourself. Get some correction uh, be chastened by the Lord right now because one day, if you don't, He's going to judge you for these things. So judge yourselves. Verse 33. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come to come together to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye, may, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. 
Okay, there's uh, a few little other, just little tidbits I'll, I'll drop in here that I just kind of found from my studies is that it seems to be this, these divisions, just kind of going back to the division that was among them, the divisions that they had, uh, not only are they just not sharing food with each other, I mean, that's one thing, but they would separate themselves, the rich and the poor, those who had and those who didn't have. They would, complete, they, would, they would come together for worship, and they would separate the, the people who had all this stuff from those who didn't. And if you, under, if you think of, of just like how houses are today, um, or how, how houses have, have kind of changed throughout history, uh, you have you've, you know, different sizes of houses. Houses have gotten a lot larger. Um, my house that I live in now, it's not the largest house, but it, you know, 100 years ago, my house would be huge. Um, and back then, you know, houses were, were even a lot smaller, even for them as they would gather together, because they, they wouldn't gather together in churches. They didn't have churches yet. Um, they, you may have had somebody who was a business owner or something they could gather together, but for the most part, they're gathering together in houses for worship. And so they're, they're in, in partaking in communion. And so the houses, the uh, common house that was built there in Corinth was a house that had a uh that had an inside room that was uh it had one particular room that was typically of, of a decent size but then outside you had a much larger uh outdoor space if you had somebody who who had at least some means um they may have a larger courtyard area and they would for any kind of a large gathering you couldn't all gather in the house uh so you would gather in both spaces and that was that was likely what was happening here is you would, uh, when he's talking about the division that they had, you have certain people, you have the rich that are eating inside and you have the poor who are all eating outside. There's complete division among them. And so that's what he's addressing here when he says you have divisions among you. You guys don't, you're not caring for each other and you are then going in and, and drinking unworthily of this Lord's Supper. Okay, I think we can, we can put a, a bow on that. I, I could have gone deeper into um, chapter 11, but let's move on to chapter 12. And as I said, I want to kind of just give an overview, high level overview of chapters 12, 13, and 14, because all three of these chapters, it's a continuation of this discussion uh, of, of public worship. Uh, but here he's really going to uh, come in and, and talk about the gifts of the spirit, the operation of the gifts of the spirit. And there's uh, it's, it's not just instructional. It's correction that's going to take place. Chapter 12 and 13 are more instructional. Chapter 14 is definitely correction. He's coming in and he's, he's correcting things that they, they have off, things that are, are wrong. And so, uh, this chapter, or these, this portion here, 12, 13, and 14, uh, really important, I would say, for the church today, especially, you know, we as, as Pentecostals, we put a lot of importance on this. Um, I don't believe that, uh, you know, this is something that's only for Pentecostals. This is for the church. It doesn't matter if you call yourself Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, this is the letter that is still for the church today. And so, uh, what he, what he addresses here is something that we, we need to have a lot of understanding of. And so, 
here we have him, that Paul, he is, he is writing in, in this, to this church that is kind of misbehaving in their church gatherings. He's, he has them coming and, uh, or, or he's, he's addressing them that when they would come together, they, they're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but they're doing it in a wrong way. And, uh, the main issue that seems to be the problem that he's going to address in these three chapters is, in particular, the gift of speaking with other tongues, the gift of tongues, and even the interpretation of tongues. So he's, he, and I say that, so he's going to touch on a lot of gifts of the Spirit, but that one particular thing, the gift of tongues, is something that we will find him mentioned over and over and over. And if you simply are just reading chapter 12, in chapter 13, you might not get that that's the main thing, but uh, in chapter 14, you'll definitely see that tongues is the predominant thing that they have some things that are going wrong here. So there are several places in these uh, passages or in these chapters here that Paul gives some lists of spiritual gifts or he mentions some spiritual gifts. Does anybody know? Uh, how many gifts are in the, the list that Paul has in chapter 12 of the spiritual gifts? Anybody know how many? Here we go. Nine. Um, is that an exhaustive list? I don't believe that it is either. Yeah. It's not an exhaustive list. Uh, I think a lot of times we treat that, that section there when he lists out the spiritual gifts um, that we kind of you know, really dive into all nine of these and we pull all those out and we kind of think, you know, these are the nine things that you can operate in the spirits through these nine avenues. Um, but if you read beyond that, there's other gifts that Paul mentions. <laughs> there's other spiritual gifts beyond that. Uh, and so he gives some other listings of, of, or mentions other spiritual gifts even within these chapters. And so uh, we have those nine, but there's, there's, I believe, even more ways that the Spirit can manifest itself, can, can work through uh, us, can work through you uh, to benefit the church. And so um, here we have these different times in this, these three chapters where Paul is going to mention some spiritual gifts. But there's, uh, it's interesting because the only gift that is mentioned in every single list or every single time he brings up these spiritual gifts is the gift of tongues. That's the only one that makes every single list. So uh, just to, to, to illustrate, uh, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. It says, To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So we have this listing here. Those are the nine gifts that we were just uh, talking about. And uh, you saw there the diverse kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. All right, go down to verse 28 of that same chapter. God has set some of the church... First, apostles, secondarily, prophets, thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, 
helps. Okay, it's a new spiritual gift that we have here. Helps. Governments. Diversities of tongues. Notice there. Tongues again. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He's, he's speaking of these different gifts of the Spirit. Uh, let's go to uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am becoming as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, now all knowledge, though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, if I have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So we have, again, some of these gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned here. And at the, right at the beginning, it talks about the tongues of men and angels. Uh, verse 8 of that same chapter. It says, charity never faileth, or love, it never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Uh, so uh, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, these are all uh, from that initial list. Uh, chapter 14, we're just going to pick up just a couple more verses where he lists or mentions some of these gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 14 Verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. Okay? Again, we have several of these gifts that are mentioned here. Chapter, uh, same chapter, verse 26. And again, he mentions several of these gifts of the Spirit. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, that every one of you has a psalm, you guys come together and you're, you're all singing, has a doctrine, have a tongue, have the revelation, have an interpretation, it says, let all things be done unto edifying. Okay, so in each one of these lists, in each one of these times when he's mentioning these gift, different gifts of the Spirit, he mentions tongues in every single one of these. Tongues is definitely one of the main problems that they have. And it's not the problem that they speak in tongues. That's not the problem. But they have issues in tongues and just how they come together and how it's operating. And so this just keeps on coming up over and over as Paul is writing to them. And so I think uh, one thing that is is off is that they think... And they believe that they are spiritual because they see the manifestation of the Spirit in them. That for them, they, and we've seen this even in our earlier passages that we've read, that one of the things about the Corinthians is that they're really concerned about being spiritual people. And they want to be people who are like, you know, really leaning into spiritual things. And for them to identify themselves as being spiritual, it's for them to say, I have proof because I have the manifestations of the Spirit. Now, that seems to be a pretty good marker. But Paul says it's more than just you operating in the spirit, gifts of the Spirit. It's more than just the fact that you can tap into the Spirit and the Spirit is going to minister through you. There's more 
to you being spiritual or you being holy than seeing these things in action. There's more to it. So to be, to be fully spiritual is for them, what they believed it was to be removed from you know, the cares of this life. You even had them uh, even believing that they were somewhat, you know, just like the angels. Uh, you had, you know, they kind of get off on their doctrine, like completely off in their doctrine. They believed, you know, we are similar to the angels. That's why they had some issues with, with marriage because the angels, they don't marry um, Jesus said that, and so uh, they thought for themselves that they are they're, they're similar to those beings when they came into Jesus Christ. But uh, but that's that got them all off, and that, that gets them off here as well. All right, let's um, uh, let's get down to well, let's pick up chapter thirteen, verse one. I want to pick up a few things here. I already read this verse, but uh, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm becoming a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, um, here when he says, speak with the tongues of men and of angels, where, where does Paul get this from? This is the only time that we see Paul speaking of speaking with um, the tongues of angels. And uh, I, I, I could dive into this um, a lot deeper. Maybe we will later. But how do angels even speak? Like, what's the language of angels? Anybody ever thought of that? Okay, so there's some music that uh, we do know that there was there was some kind of worship that's happening. We do, we do know that um, when John went up into, into heaven, he was caught up into heaven, that he saw them around the throne. And they're crying, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Um, but angels are spirits, right? And we do know that they can manifest in a human form because we see that, uh, that in, uh, Abraham interacted with what he thought was people, ends up being angels. Paul, or not Paul, uh, Jacob, uh, wrestled with an angel. And so you, you have, you have different like, um, human manifestations of, of angels, but but how does, how, you know, like, what's the language of an angel? I don't know. I don't know how they, how they speak, how, how a spirit speak. Like, as a spirit, when we talk about, like, a heavenly language, I don't, I don't know that the angels have a, a human body like we have up in heaven. They're spirit. And so, you know, they don't have like breath to breathe out and like words to say like, like we do. So we do know that they spoke. Because what? They spoke to spoke to Jacob. They spoke to Abraham. They spoke to Mary and Joseph. Spoke to them. But what language did they speak to them in? Their own language. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe angels, they, they uh, take all these foreign language classes. Um, I don't know what's what's going on. You know that somehow they're they're able to uh, to speak. Maybe he dispatches. Maybe God dispatches. You know certain angels who know know how to speak those languages. But I don't know. I'm kind of going off uh, on a rabbit trail here. But kind of the, the point is that I don't know what he really means when he says the uh, that you speak the tongues of men and of angels. And it very well could be uh, like we've seen 
other times in this book that he is simply writing there something that they brought to him. Remember, there's correspondence back and forth. And it could be that for them, remember, I just mentioned that they have this messed up doctrine where they believe for themselves that they have a lot of these qualities of angels. And that got them messed up in marriage. That got them messed up in all kinds of other things, thinking that they're spiritual in that sense. And it could be that for them, they have this angelic language or this heavenly language. And we don't necessarily even really know what that means to speak a heavenly language. The one thing that we do know for certain about speaking in tongues is that um, it can certainly be a actual language spoken here on earth because that's what happened on Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 2. Is that when they spoke in tongues, people in other countries or other nations or surrounding nations who spoke other languages, they understood them. And that stuff still happens today. It probably would happen a lot more if we were a very multicultural community, multicultural church, or if you were to go overseas. uh, There's many reports of people who hear and understand what is being prayed in one language because they're speaking in a real language that is spoken somewhere else in the world. So I think there's a couple of things that it could be, uh, that that tongues could be. One, it could be a real language that uh, we do know that that's the case, that you might speak real languages. Uh, it could be a real language that's no longer spoken. There's many languages that um, they're not, they've kind of gone, gone away. They're, they're not spoken anymore. So you might speak languages that are not spoken anymore. Um, you might speak a, uh, perhaps a, you know, a language that just God created for tongues and for you to communicate with them. It could be that, but, um, uh, but to say, you know, that, you know, to tell somebody as they're speaking in tongues that this is only just a heavenly language, uh, I don't think that that's even uh, really a correct assumption to make that, um, that when you speak in tongues, that the only thing that you're communicating with is, is God and speaking an angelic language, because uh, we do know that the one case that we certainly see um, this happening is that other people understood um, do you have some input? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So two two different times that you were um, able to witness or had somebody you know that present that understood what was being spoken. Um, wow. So that's, uh, I know, I know that was just a little bit of an aside there, but I think as we dive into this area of tongues, it is important to understand that it, it is a real language and, uh, somebody's not just babbling here. So, uh, I, let's dive in. I, I want, we have just a couple of minutes. Um, I want to get into just the first three verses of chapter 12, just the three verses, verse three verses. So, Uh, If you want to go back to chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes here, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, um, and if your Bible is like mine, that word gifts um, might be in italics, which means that um, it's just there to give a little bit more um, uh, meaning to it or a little more fuller context, but uh, that word isn't actually written in the Greek, and so it's now concerning spiritual gifts. It's actually 
probably fuller understood, better understood as spiritual things. So now concerning spiritual things, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. Now this is interesting because the whole problem here is tongues that he's going, getting ready to address. Now dumb here does not mean stupid or ignorant. It means unable to speak or dumb. They cannot speak. And this is actually something that for the Hebrews, you know, for Jews, this is something that they would often reference when they're talking about idols. They would say, these are idols they hear not, they see not, they speak not, you know, idols that they cannot, you know, operate in any of that. So Paul, he's saying that when you were Gentiles, so he's referencing their pre-Christian life, you were carried away to what? You worshiped what? You worship dumb idols, idols that cannot speak, gods who could not speak. Now, he's getting ready again to dress what? Speaking. And I think Paul's point is, is twofold here. That first of all, he's saying, our God is not incapable of speaking. That he is a God, the God that we serve is a God who does speak to us. That he spoke to us through creation. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks even audibly at times. He, you know, he speaks through his angels. He speaks through his prophets. And so our God is a very audible God. He's not a dumb God. And so Paul sort of lays this contrast down here. But by extension then, uh, if, if God speaks through his prophets, and if God speaks through people, that leads us directly back to the problem at hand, which is speaking under inspiration and doing it in the right manner. And so Paul, he starts off at the very beginning here with this little comparison of being carried away to these dumb idols and how these idols, they're unable to speak and he's reminding them of their past and then he's getting ready to remind them of their present here. And so I think also here in... in there's this general contrast where Paul is saying, you know, there's, there's one way to live when you are in the world and you're serving pagan gods. And there's another way to live when you're serving Christ. And there needs to be a line of demarcation between how you lived when you served idols and how you live when you serve Christ. Remember, the overall theme that I gave to this study back in week one is for First Corinthians is the gospel lens. And every part of your life needs to pass through the lens of the death, burial, and resurrection. That you don't worship the way that people in pagan temples worship. There's a different way to worship. You don't live your lives ethically and morally the way that pagans do. There's a different way to live your life. So Paul He's drawing this line in, in the sand and he's saying, look, you guys used to worship and be led this way, but that's not our way. We're apart from that. And so again, he's, he's sort of drawing that line here. And I think he's contrasting the speech that goes on in pagan temples. And if you study it, 
study some of that culture, you can read about references of them speaking very ecstatic speech in pagan temples. And there was things that would go on in pagan rituals where they would just babble on and there was jangling things that was happening and stuff that goes on in pagan houses of worship and these pagan practices where they used to be. And so what he's saying is he's making it clear because for them, culturally, they they didn't come out of a Judeo-Christian culture that we are in today, but they came out from this place where in worship, they did have some of that that would happen in their, in their uh, services, in their worship setting. But now you're coming in and he's saying, this is not just babbling of tongues. This is not just clanging cymbals. This is not, this is none of that. No, this is God Almighty, the God who speaks, speaking through you. This is God Almighty, the God who speaks and you speaking back to Him. That there's, that there's a language here that's, that's so different. It's, 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 there needs to be a lot of demarcation. Your worship there and your worship here. So they come to the church and they need to get reoriented here. All right. I said we'll get through three verses. So verse three says, wherefore, because of that, because of the old way that you've lived your life serving these dumb idols. Um, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So Paul is indicating that the one who is speaking by the Spirit cannot say some things. And one who is not speaking by the Spirit cannot say some things. Uh, I don't know, has anybody ever been around somebody who was possessed? I'm not just talking like oppressed by Spirit. But you've been around somebody who was possessed. And um, if you've seen, if they were with, uh, maybe, maybe it was even you, but uh, with somebody who was helping them, praying with them, uh, one thing that you may see that person do, a minister who's praying with somebody, and I don't go chasing devils and uh, chasing people in this sense, but it's real. This really uh, takes place even today. And, uh, and you ask them to speak the name of Jesus, and somebody possessed, they will not speak, speak out and declare, not just, not just speak the name of Jesus, but they will not declare that Jesus is Lord. They will not declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord of their life. They, because a devil, and that's, I mean, that's speaking you know, through the mouth of the devil. Speaking, you know, them speaking through them. And they will not declare that. But that, I don't think that's the only thing that Paul is saying here. He's not just giving a prescription here for how to cast a demon out of somebody. Or how to identify that somebody is possessed. But... This goes really to even the way that they live their life. That no person who is speaking by the Spirit of God would call Jesus accursed. Well, how can you call Jesus accursed in your life? There probably aren't having people stand up in their worship services and just saying, I curse you, Jesus. Christians who are part of the church. It's probably not happening. 
But the way they live their life may be doing that. Remember, he had just addressed drinking or partaking in the Lord's Supper unworthily and crucifying Jesus again when you do that and, and all this. And so, you know, cursing, cursing Jesus again. He says, you cannot be full of the Holy Spirit and live your life completely against him. There needs to be some separation. There needs to be change. There needs to be a demarcation from who I was to who I am today. And so he says there's some things that people who are full of the Spirit, they cannot do. And it's not that they hear that they, they cannot do that, but, but you cannot serve two masters. You can choose as a Holy, Holy Ghost-filled person, somebody who is full of the Spirit, you can choose to then turn your back on him and call him accursed, to live your life opposite of how he has called you to live your life. But you cannot serve both masters at the same time. You can't do that. And no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So the person who does declare him as Lord of your life is doing that because you have had the Holy Ghost come in you and change your life. You have chosen to put him as your master. That's what Lord means. Nobody can say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Except that the Holy Ghost has led them to that point. And again, we're here and uh, Paul is writing this in a culture in which it's not like ours today. Where people are familiar with Jesus. uh, where, Where people are coming, you know, maybe converting from one church to another church or going, you know, from that. But he's talking about people who, they did have lords. I mean, that was one of the terms that they would call their gods. There's a lord. And they, they would not turn from calling this god over here, the god of Venus, goddess of Venus. They would not turn from calling that lord to now saying that Jesus Christ is lord unless the Holy Spirit led them to do that. And so, that's what he's, he's, he's diving into this, this topic here, first of all, by pointing to their past and then pointing to the fact that it's, it's uh, a, a difference between how you used to live and how you ought to live now as somebody who comes and worships Him. Amen. Well, let's, let's uh, close it off there and uh, we'll dive into the rest of this Two weeks from now, next week is our business meeting. So two weeks from now, we'll dive into uh, the rest of this where it really gets deep into um, the instruction of the spiritual gifts and then correction uh, on, on how we ought to use them. So anyway, let's stand. Let's stand here tonight. And I want us to, to pray as we close this out. So if you could just lift up your hands and may call on the name of the Lord here for just a couple of minutes as we uh, close this out here tonight. Lord, we are so thankful. God, we are so thankful and so blessed, Lord, that as your people, God, we can be called out, Lord, that we don't have to live the life that we used to live. God, we don't have to live, God, bound by pain, bound by, uh, Lord, these false hopes and false gods, God, that uh, 
God, that we used to chase after. But, Lord, we have the God who speaks. We have the God who is alive. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to abandon our old lives, God, to abandon all of that, Lord, and to worship you fully, Lord, to be completely committed to you. God, I pray also, Lord, that you would help us here, Lord, in this place, Lord, to, uh, Lord, not have any divisions among us, but, God, let us have unity. God, that as the church, uh, Lord, that we would uh, love for one another, care uh, for one another, Lord, that we would be there for each other. Lord, I pray, God, that your church, God, would come together and be a unified church. God, not just serving one God, but God, one church, God, unified, serving you alone. Lord, we worship you. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed here tonight.